CLNS's Patriots coverage is powered by our exclusive wagering partners at betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your welcome bonus. Good evening, everybody. Evan Lazar, Alex Barth, Patriots Beat Podcast here on this Monday evening, 6 p.m. Eastern time. Right on time today, Alex. I like that. Look at that. Look at that. Punctuality. We got to start where every other show in maybe America at this point is starting right now with the news breaking this morning. Alex and I were out at practice at Gillette Stadium today in the lower grass fields. A little bit of a unique setup there. But we were out there today, this morning, and... Everybody starts trickling out for practice. One by one, the quarterbacks come out. Mac Jones, then followed by Mac, was Brian Hoyer. And you look around, and everybody's out on the field and getting stretched out and getting warmed up. And number one, Cam Newton is not out there. And I think a lot of us did a double take, made sure that we could confirm that Cam was nowhere to be found. Sometimes they're hiding in the back. Sometimes they're in the John, you know, stuff like that. No Cam Newton. Then I would say, at least in my time on the beat, and granted that's not a ton of time, but I have not experienced a statement from the team, an official statement from the team going out during a practice about a specific player's situation like yeah. we saw this morning with Cam. It was definitely a very unique situation. And just reading off the statement here briefly, the statement goes, on Saturday, Cam Newton traveled to a club-approved medical appointment that required him to leave the New England area. He received daily COVID tests, which were all negative due to a misunderstanding about tests conducted away from NFL facilities and as required by the NFL NFLPA protocols. Cam will be subject to the five-day entry cadence process before returning to the facility. The statement also does mention that Newton can return to the facility as early as Thursday, August 26th, assuming that he now produces two negative tests in that span. So what we learned right. this morning was a lot from about Cam Newton and maybe more so maybe just confirming some things. First and foremost, the misunderstanding part of this statement I think is really important. And basically what they're saying is that Cam was COVID tested away from the facility at another facility, a doctor's office, whatever it might be. And in order to meet NFL guidelines, you have to be COVID tested by the NFL COVID testers. You cannot go outside and go to another party to get tested. You have to be tested by the COVID testing facility on site at Gillette Stadium. So that was the misunderstanding of the rules that has now put Cam Newton in this five-day window where he's kind of stuck in limbo until he passes through the protocol. So that that's kind of the rules mumbo-jumbo of it all. But the second part about this is that this now confirms because players that were not vaccinated would not uh, players that were vaccinated. Were vaccinated. Yes. Me, this is now I'm getting everybody confused. <laughs> I can take over if you want. Players that were vaccinated that are vaccinated do not need to enter this protocol. But because Cam Newton is an unvaccinated player, which I think we sort of had inklings of, right? Because he had the mask on on the sidelines. He had the wristband on it for most of training camp. So 
we we knew it, it, that Cam might not be vaccinated. This today confirmed that Cam wasn't vaccinated or isn't vaccinated. So therefore, he is now going to miss practices today, Tuesday, and Wednesday's first joint practice with the Giants. And this also assumes that he will be able to practice on Thursday. It says he can re-enter the club facility on Thursday. That's not ex- 100% confirmation. So it says that he can practice on Thursday. We're, we're still kind of up in the air on that one. And it says he can only, he can enter the club facility on Thursday after a negative test has been confirmed. So that's, you know, how long does it take to turn that around? Can they do it on site? Do they have to go off site? Right. Went right. So he says he gets up at like what? 4:35 in the morning. All right. So he goes sure. to Gillette first thing in the morning. They have it specially lined up 5:30 test. Can they get it turned around in five hours for him to be able to practice? I don't know. I don't know how that works, but those two joint practices are huge. We know, and I've, I've harped on this, the joint practices for Bill Belichick are everything. They're more important than the preseason games. And they have four. And he he's going to miss at least one of them, potentially two. That's big. And I don't know which direction you want to go with this, Evan, is there's Atlas's appearance. I was going to ask you, when is the superstar Atlas going to appear on the show? Uh, Congratulations to you and, and the family on that one. Uh, thank um, you. You know, who who knew Bill Belichick just needed a dog to make him smile? Um, you know, yeah, I'll let you decide which direction you want to go, because it's going to be a mess. And I know you wanted to put the disclaimer. I'll say it as well, just for everything I say. We are talking about this from a football point of view. Right. I, the, the quarterback discourse with this team has already been so beyond frustrating, because most of you idiots don't understand that rooting for both of them is an option, and it's actually the best option. The last thing this discourse, which was already a pain in the ass needed, was to add the COVID vaccine discourse to it. Like, oh my God, what a perfect storm of absolute shit. But anyway, let's let's drive into the storm, Evan. Where do you want to start? So the just to be clear, the COVID testing facility that Cam Newton needs to test at, and he was tested outside the facility at a third party testing site. And that's why the tests were deemed ineligible for the COVID protocols. Oh, so so, go ahead. I have one other thing to add to. Go ahead. So it's called a MESA test or the BRL PCR test. So he's got to get both, right? The MESA test is the big one. That's the lab. That's the 24-hour turnaround where they take the big swab and they send it out and they make sure that it's negative. And then there's also PCR tests as well. But I think the part that – the place that I want to go with this, and I I also want to reiterate, look, I would – I would implore everybody to get vaccinated, but it's ultimately everybody's own personal decision whether or not they want to get vaccinated. But unfortunately, there's a difference between you and me and everybody else in America getting vaccinated and the quarterback of the New England Patriots being vaccinated. That's a different playing field because for Cam and for the Patriots, in a way, I, I want to say that they're almost lucky that this happened now and not like what happened in Kansas City last year, right? right? So that's the fear, is that if this slip-up could happen now, and let's say Cam comes down because he has to be tested regularly because he's unvaccinated, and even if he has a false positive and he tests positive at some point during the season, we get back into all of this protocol mumbo-jumbo, as I like to call it, all over again. So in a lot of ways the situation that happened in Kansas city is very much still on the table for Cam Newton to continue to happen this year and potentially happen again this year. 
And that's the question. So I think the biggest talking point or the biggest discussion question here is should Cam's vaccination status and this misinterpretation of the rules, as the team likes to call it, matter? Should the Patriots care moving forward that Cam is unvaccinated and should it matter in terms of who's starting quarterback is for the Patriots this year? So here, here's what I would say. If, if you are somebody who believes and you have, everybody has the right to their own beliefs. If you are somebody who believes that the vaccine is a personal decision and it doesn't affect you in the grand scheme of things, any Billy Joe Bob on the street, right? That's fine. The reality is this situation is different because there are inherent rules written in that impact it. And if you disagree, if you don't think those should be rules, right? The Cole Beasley's of the world who don't think the league should be able to discriminate based on vaccination status, that's a separate conversation. We're going to put that conversation to the side for a second because the reality is the rules are what they are. And here we are, okay? And those are going to be the rules for this year. And those rules make a difference between vaccinated and unvaccinated players. And unvaccinated players pose more risk to their team for the end goal, not even medically, forget medically. Right. You could, if, if you have an outbreak and it starts with an unvaccinated player, you can for, you might have to forfeit the game. That's not the reality with vaccinated players. You also see this too, right? Unvaccinated players will have to miss more time. Even if a vaccinated player tests positive, if an unvaccinated player is nearby, they have to go into the quarantine. Another vaccinated player wouldn't. Right. So it makes sense just from a football sense. You want everybody to be vaccinated. Now, I don't think this will impact Cam Newton's standing with the team because we're all learning about this today, right? The team, I assume, has known this from the get-go. I assume the team has known this since March when they signed him, that he wasn't going to get vaccinated or he wouldn't get vaccinated, whatever the case may be. So the fact we've come this far and they seemingly haven't addressed it leads me to believe that they don't care or they care, but not enough to do anything about it, right? And maybe now they'll push him a little more. We'll see. I don't know. But- yeah, no, this is, this, it, it's not, oh, it's his personal choice to get vaccinated because it only affects him. In the football sense, the there is a strategic difference to the team, whether or not a player is vaccinated. Cam Newton not practicing for the next three days is not because of some BS NFL rule. He knew the rule. The team knew the rule. Cam Newton not practicing for the next three days is because he is not vaccinated. Yeah, that, that's that's exactly what it is. And when you look at the the COVID protocols, which we all looked at when they came out a few uh, months ago, and now I feel like we're looking at them again today just to refresh our memories on all these types of things. And you look at the COVID protocols and you see the what vaccinated players are allowed to do and allowed to get, get away with versus what unvaccinated players are going to go through this year. And I've talked to several Patriots players who have all said, to me off the record that the Patriots as an organization have not pressured any individual player to get vaccinated. But the issue is, is that there are so many hurdles to overcome as a vaccinated player that it's, it's difficult to be on the team as a vaccinated player, right? It's difficult to be on the team as an unvaccinated player this season. So not only 
do you have all this COVID protocol stuff and reentry processes and all these types of things that you could run into negative tests and what that could lead you down. If you get that happen to you as an unvaccinated player, there's also rules within the club facility, right? That everybody has to be masked. that you can't be in certain meeting rooms and you can't be in certain cafeteria areas or weight room areas and all these different types of things. So what the NFL has done is, and this is the NFL, This is not the Patriots. What the NFL has done is they have forced the hand of the players to basically say, everybody's going to get vaccinated one way or another, whether you agree with it or not, but we're going to make your life pretty much miserable and very difficult to be on an NFL team as an unvaccinated player. That's what we're going to go seek out to do with these protocols. And that's the back that they have pushed Cam against the wall is that there's really nothing that, there's so many bad things that can happen as an unvaccinated player, even if you don't test positive for COVID. And even if Cam is perfectly fine and follows every other protocol. And as I understand it, the Patriots try to communicate with the league and the NFLPA about this medical visit and basically got wrong information. Right. That Cam Newton was should have been able to present those negative tests from the third party and come back to the Patriots immediately and reenter and have none of these problems. And they got some misinformation. And and that's why we are in this position. So I have to imagine that Bill Belichick is not thrilled with the league either because there was not there's a clear lack of communication from everybody. Right. In terms of what was allowed and what wasn't allowed. The last thing I would say is that. Should it, does it move the needle to me in the fact that it, this makes Mac more likely to start? Maybe minuscule slightly, but I don't think that this is the day that Cam Newton lost the starting job for the Patriots, right? right? I don't think that this is the deciding factor. And Cam has certainly done enough in the practices that we have seen and in the preseason games that we have seen to at least give the Patriots the luxury of not rushing Mac into a week one start. So it's not to say that Mac isn't going to start at all this year. Everybody knows where my stance is on that. But in terms of Mac needing to start against Miami in week one, Cam has played well enough to at least hold him out until he's ready. And I don't think that this is necessarily going to change that one way or another. Now, if Mac does come out in the two joint practices and let's say Cam can't practice against the Giants this week and he has great practices against the Giants, maybe that makes it so that Mac gets in there sooner than what their initial plan. If they're planning on week eight, week nine, maybe Mac's in there week four, week five, if he shows them something this week. But I don't think that this necessarily changes the week one status of Cam Newton. Yeah, I, again, you know, if maybe if the team was just learning about this today like we were, it may, like maybe they were, but I would be shocked, right, if the Patriots didn't know every player, everybody in the building's vaccination status. They, they've known this, and they've operated the way they've operated. Nothing that happened, and it sounds like they found out on Saturday, right? Because it's right. five it's five days, but we're talking yeah. about him coming Wednesday. So it's five days from when they found out on Saturday. Um, they, they've known this, and they've operated knowing Cam Newton's not vaccinated, and they've operated, at least externally, it appears, as if they're okay with that. So, yeah, externally, it looks like this monumental event. And sure, you never want to open the door for the backup to get reps, Drew Bledsoe will tell you that. Alex right. Smith will tell you that, right? But like you said, he could blow the Giants away in 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 the joint practices. I think if anything, that maybe we go back to that sooner rather than later conversation where 
he can chip away at Cam Newton's lead pretty significantly, but I this doesn't change anything for week one. I really don't think it does. At the end of the day, this is a good time for this to happen because all he's doing is missing pre uh, training camp practices. This is not that important per se, but at the end of the day, the fear is, is like we all woke up that Saturday morning before the Kansas City game last year right. and we're hit with the news again that Cam Newton has entered COVID protocols and isn't going to be eligible to play in the game. And the Patriots are definitely going to have to decide whether or not that matters in the equation. It de- certainly has to matter just a little bit. Let- let's get to some football talk, though, because that's enough about this COVID protocol. Yeah, the chat's great right now. The chat's very gentle. Everybody, Everybody's having right a great now. time. So I think the most important part now from a football perspective is, as you said, Alex, this opens the door for Mac Jones to get a ton of reps this week against the starting defense, potentially against the Giants starting defense twice, certainly once, but potentially twice on Thursday as well. Today, Mac was a little shaky. 17 to 31, started one for six. There was a lot of would-be sacks or close sacks that I would say during practice. There were some good moments as well, but what did you take away from Max Day today? Did you feel like he'd made the most of the opportunity? I don't know that he made the most of it. I, I thought he was good. He was good, not great. It wasn't his best day. It wasn't his worst day. And, and, you know, that's the thing. There's so much more focus on him now, right? I think everybody wanted to see his best day today, given the stakes he had. Um, it, mostly what I looked for, I, it, did he do anything different, right? Because I think it would be very easy to right. mentally psych yourself up. And it, it didn't appear he did. I thought he... You know, he made. I thought there were some good throws he made that were incomplete. He made a nice throw to Kendrick Bourne that I just think Bourne was the second late on the adjustment too. He had a, a fade in the back corner that I thought you know was a decent throw, and Aguilar just got beat to the spot by J.C. Jackson. I think if that's maybe Nikhil Harry, we're calling that a touchdown. So and and then he he had some misses. He overthrew uh, Aguilar once. I thought he overthrew Johnny Smith once. So you know, up and down day it was. If Cam was there and we didn't have this whole vaccine thing, we would just be like, all right, it's another day for Mac Jones. He didn't gain any ground. He didn't lose any ground. Obviously, the circumstances are different today, but he, you know, it's it's a learning experience for him. I think if you want to talk about the takeaways in the big picture, he got more reps with the first-team offense. He got more reps against the first-team defense. So there's a great chance to learn and just, you know, pick up experience, which he needs. That's the big thing. He just needs experience. He needs reps. So in that sense, today was a win. But, you know, performance-wise... I thought the throw at the end of practice to Kendrick Bourne, that was a great throw. Bourne has to make a great catch too, but it was, you know, there's no window. He leads Kendrick Bourne out in front. Bourne makes the great catch. It's a chemistry play. I've talked about how important those chemistry throws are, especially for Jones early on here. So, you know, you can you can put that in your hat and say that was that was a positive moment. But I think today was all about the experience. Right. And that's, that was the headline for me was that Mac dominated the reps and everybody took that and ran with it as me saying Mac dominated practice, which are obviously two separate things, right? Mac dominated the reps because he could have phrased it a little better. He got Mac, (laughs) Mac got 31 snaps and Brian Hoyer got 10. That's dominating the reps at practice. Now, what did he make out of those practices? I, I would, or reps, excuse me. I would say that. Early on, it looked like the starting defense was moving a little fast for him, but he seemed to settle in as they got into practice. And there were a bunch of throws that I thought were really, really solid that we can get into. But the one thing that you definitely do see with Mac, even when he has a bad 
start like he did today or had some bad moments like he did today. The ball is never that up for grabs. There there was a few instances right. last week in Philadelphia that I wrote about where I felt like he was pushing the ball down the field and being a little bit uh you know too too aggressive I would say and putting the ball in bad spots and up for grabs. Today his misses were at least solid misses right where it wasn't like it was going to be intercepted by the other team so I guess that's a positive you can take away from it I thought he made a couple of really good throws towards the end of practice you mentioned the one to Bourne that was draped all over JC Jackson was draped all over him there was really only one spot that Mac Jones could throw that ball into for for Kendrick Bourne to have a chance at it and that's exactly where he threw it he also threw a nice pass up the seam to Johnny Smith earlier in practice so you still see the flashes you still see the moments there was a throw coming out of the backfield JJ Taylor the linebacker blitz the other linebacker dropped off the edge replacement pressure right inside linebacker comes outside linebacker drops with the running back in coverage Mac read the blitz threw hot to JJ Taylor got the ball out of his hands really quickly and put it to JJ Taylor and stride on the swing in the flat those are the types of plays you look at and you say okay that's that's the computer in the between the ears working for Mac Jones that we've heard about, right? That the year about from Alabama, he comes up here and does the same thing. Those are the things that you like to see translate. <clears throat> the last one I, I would mention with Mac was actually a throwaway that Bob Sochi, he, he pointed it out as well on Twitter, where at the end of the half against Philadelphia, Mac, yes, he had the deep ball to Nikhil Harry that should have been caught, and the whole sequence probably doesn't happen if that if that ball is caught. But he threw a ball complete to J.J. Taylor inbounds on second down with no timeouts, and then they were forced to spike the ball on third down and then punt, right? And when that happened, it was a learning moment for Mac Jones. And Josh McDaniels mentioned yesterday that they hadn't really gone over that exact scenario in practice before so it was a good teaching moment for the coach and be able to kind of relay that to the rookie quarterback out there at practice today he looked around he didn't see anything there initially and he threw the ball 10 rows into the stands if there were stands there and allowed the field goal team to come on and kick the field goal and preserve the time on the clock so that was a nice learning moment from him I, I like I said like I wrote and like we both kind of saying here it was Mac did this was not a seize the day type of day for Mac Jones where we right. walked away with this and said Cam wasn't there he's got all this COVID stuff going on and Mac Jones balled out today and won and is taking the starting job by the horns right that was not the right. day that we saw out of him today but let's see what he looks like tomorrow and Wednesday because he's still got two more bites at the apple at least and today was the first day where he had those QB one reps and was right. that was put on his plate. So let's see what he does with it tomorrow. I, I said this to a friend jokingly earlier, and the more I think about it, it's still a joke, but not entirely right with how much importance Phil Belichick puts on the, the joint practices and Cam might practice Thursday, right? Is Wednesday the biggest training camp practice in Patriots history? It's a huge one. I mean, like, yeah. I can't remember there being stakes for an individual practice. Obviously, there's been training camps that have stakes. You know, you have positional battles throughout camp, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I don't remember anticipating a practice as much as what's going to happen Thursday. The great thing about it was, too, that 
on, on Wednesday and Thursday, that is. Joe Judge and Bill Belichick obviously have a great relationship going back years and years. So you know those two are going to discuss beforehand what exactly Bill and McDaniels want them to throw at Mac defensively. Now, obviously, the Giants have stuff that they have to work on themselves as well. But it's a new defense. It's a different defense, just like Philadelphia last week. And you have a great relationship with the head coach where you might be able to have some communication of, let's throw this blitz at him or let's throw this coverage at him or let's throw this rotation at him or throw this post snap movement at him and see what he does. Right. And see how he reacts to it. So really great opportunity um, for Mac the rest of the week, really, but, but certainly against the giants on Wednesday and potentially maybe Thursday as well, depending on how all this goes from cam. If the Patriots, obviously if they decide that Mac Jones is the guy that they want to go with in week one, and they feel good about it. How do we feel about it, right? Because we don't have to feel the same as them. And, and we've seen plenty of practices now. I think today was 16, training camp number, yep. uh, practice number 16. Yep. We've seen two preseason games. Do you feel that he's ready? I I don't know because I've talked about this before. There's certain elements that just you don't know until you know, right? Right. What what is, you know, going through a week and actually game planning for a team. He's never done that before at the NFL level. He's not going to do it until he does it, but you feel like if he could take the back seat, that might help him. Just, you know, some things like that, where I, I've said this before. This is regardless of Cam Newton, Mac Jones. This is a blanket statement. Unless you draft Trevor Lawrence, right? Generational talent. And there was, there's, you get one of those every four or five years, right? Lawrence, right. Luck, Manning, whichever guy gets drafted by the crap team from the AFC South. Funny how that's worked out. Um, although actually the culture in the AFC East when they drafted Manning. Anyway. Unless you get that guy, I don't think rookies should start right away. I don't. The three best quarterbacks in football last year, we've been over this in no particular order, Mahomes, Rodgers, Brady, started right. a combined one game as rookies. And that was Patrick Mahomes in week 17 in a game that meant nothing. So I I don't think I, – I would like to see them give Mac Jones at least a month because I think just seeing how things work in the regular season behind the scenes, I think that's valuable. Even if he's the better quarterback, and he may be, I will sacrifice four games in September 2021 for a better outcome for the next eight to 10 to 12 years. That, like that's, So that's where I'm at. I think ultimately more is gained by letting him watch the operation behind the scenes for about a month before you put him in there. Again, this, this is not Cam Newton, Mac Jones specific. I would say the same thing for the Bears. I would say the same thing for the J- – well, I don't even know who else the Jets have a quarterback. They might not have a bridge guy. Um but, they don't. You know, that was a concern when they right. drafted Zach Wilson. Brian Hoyer was potentially That's in the right. Okay, so the, 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 the Jets are their own freaking mess, and let the Jets be the Jets. But I'd, I'd say the same thing for the Niners, right? And I think Jimmy Garoppolo sucks. I do not think he's a good quarterback, and the Niners have a good team. I would still give Trey Lance at least a month, maybe more. I'd give Lance longer than than Mac because I right. think Mac's more NFL ready. But that's a blanket statement for me. I would not start the rookie week one. I think there's too much development to be gained behind the scenes because the other thing is once you make the change, I don't know that you can go back. That's so the biggest thing to make me. Make sure the moment's right when you do it. Don't just say, oh, week one, whatever, we'll try it. That's the biggest thing to me. And that's what Mike Lombardi brought up on his podcast the other day, conveniently a day after chumming it up with Bill Belichick for about an hour in Philadelphia. Mike Lombardi comes out with this take on his podcast and says, once you go to Mac, you can't go back. 
right? Because right. if if Mac goes in there week one and Mac isn't ready and he doesn't look good, and then you bench him for Cam and bring Cam back, not only can you not bring Mac back, it's it's difficult to keep going back and forth for first and foremost, but then you also risk killing his confidence too, right? right. If, if you back him and then you walk away from him, that would definitely kill his confidence too. So to me, there is no rush. I'm right there with you. I think Mac Jones is going to be the better quarterback this year for the Patriots on the whole. I think he's going to be the better quarterback by week four, week five, at some point in the season as well. But there's truly no rush to just throw him into the fire, especially right. against the defense in Miami, that, who in week one, I think that, that defense is going to be really, really good this year. Flores, good Flores is really good at scheming it up. They're extremely good at, at uh, on uh, just talent wise in general on that defense. I think that's going to be a good defense this year. And you're going to throw the rookie in there. You just you want to be careful with that because, like you said, the most important thing is Mac Jones for the next five to ten years, not Mac Jones for the right. next one to two months. So here's what I would here's what I'd say. Somebody called in a Felgren Maz the other day and said, "Well, Mac Jones needs to start because on third and three, when you have White in the flat to pick up the first down, Jones makes that throw more." Right frequently than Cam Newton. That's correct. That, sure. that that statement in itself isn't wrong. But there's there's so much more that comes with being the starting quarterback than just making that throw just mentally, emotionally. There's a lot that comes with it, and you can screw with him if he's not ready for it, right? I, I give the example of Josh Rosen all the time, but there's other guys. Mitchell Trubisky was thrown in too early. Um, David Carr. Know, David this Carr was David, thrown yeah. in too early, right? So okay, he can hit the check down on third and three, but if his head becomes scrambled eggs, what does it matter? He just wasted a first-round pick. Again, I'll take that. And you can come at me. When when Cam misses that throw in week one and it, like, costs him the game, come at me because I'll come back at you in 10 years when Mac Jones is the top 10 NFL quarterback and talk about how important that time was for his development. I I I can't care about games the first half of this season or this whole season, honestly. It's a long-term, it's a window. This I know Patriots fans want to win every year. I get it. I like It's fun that way. It certainly right. is, but that's not reality. The Patriots don't have Tom Brady anymore. They're one of 32 NFL teams. They're not their own thing. This is how it's done. You build it up. It's, multi, it's, it's three to four-year windows. The Patriots right now are in year one of probably a three-year window. I think they could stretch it to four, something like that. Don't blow the whole thing up just because you don't think camp's not that good. So I'll, you know, you deal with it. And you know what? Cam not playing well, maybe helps Mac Jones confidence. Right. I don't think either one of us is saying that we think that Mac should sit the whole year, right? We're just saying that we think Mac should sit at the beginning of the year and ease Mac into the starting lineup and don't just right. throw him out there. We're not sitting here saying that we, we think that cam should have the entire season. Cause I don't think that's, I don't agree with that. I think that can't, that Mac should start at some point this well, year. I, I think I, I don't think cam should have the entire season. I think there's a chance he gets it. If he plays well in the beginning of the year, it's going to be tough to pull him. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, the Dolphins did it with Ryan Fitzpatrick and they pulled him when he was well, doing see, pretty well and, and, and that, they got into a, and that was the situation they envisioned the entire time, right? So that was, that was their plan. And it was a mess. They, they pissed off players in the locker room and that's what it, you can't just pick a date on the calendar and circle it and say, this is when we're going to make the change. It, just, it has to happen organically. I, I would love to be able to sit here because people are always asking, when are they going to do it? When are they going to do it? 
I'd love to be able to sit here and tell you October 12th, November 10th, whatever the date, we, we got to see how this thing plays out. It's not something like that's what the Dolphins did. The Dolphins yeah. said, we have our buy here. We're going to do it here, period, end of story. And then two wasn't ready. They ended up having to go back and forth. They were like pulling two late in games, which was odd. And then it was an odd know, situation. Flores is still kind of working his way back into good graces of some players. Players were not happy about that. Right. So, I think there were a lot of players in Miami yeah. that knew that Tua was the guy, right? They just drafted this right. guy and was it fifth overall, I believe Tua was. So obviously they, everyone inside of Miami knew that Tua was the guy, but at the same time, it, the way that they transitioned to Tua was definitely a definitive set date. Like we know we're going right. to go to Tua at this point in time. And that might not have been the best approach because they kind of, they didn't allow the moment to feel itself out. Right. They didn't, right. they didn't allow the, the optics of itself to feel itself out. Now Tua played pretty, he didn't play necessarily the greatest, but their record with Tua in the game was pretty good. Right. They ended up going, right. I think, six and three with Tua, which was better than what they were with Fitzpatrick, if I remember correctly. But the, it was weird in the mess that I was referring to. What the point I was making was how they were pulling him Tua at the end of games and then going back to Fitzpatrick and then starting Tua again the following week and going back and forth between the two quarterbacks. Once, once you pick a path, you got to pick the path. Right. Once, right. You're, yeah. once you're down that path, then you got to pick it. But I, I, again, I know there's no rush because Cam has played well enough to put you in a position to win, I believe, to start the season. And there's no rush to then go ahead and, and go to Mac just to go to Mac. So that's the good news that we've been talking about this for a while that it feels like Cam Newton hasn't made enough strides within this system, has made enough, uh, progress and improvements within the system over this training camp that they don't need to rush it in with right. Mac. And that's, that's what's best for everybody. Again, I, we talked about this on the last show and I lost my mind over it, right? The best case scenario is both guys play well. Cam's a bridge quarterback. Think of the term bridge. You're building right. a bridge over the river. How far do you want that bridge to get you over the river? Do you want to get you to get it 70, 80% of the way there? No, because then it's not a bridge. It's a ramp. You fall into the river. You want to get you 100% of the way there. Cam's going to be able to get them to Mac. If it's going to take three to four to five to six weeks for Mac to just kind of soak it all in and be NFL ready, then... Great. I think he can get you there. If it takes a whole season, I think he can get you there. I don't know that it's going to be pretty. I think he can get you there. Right. Uh, but he, him being good, you don't want to have to put Mac in because Cam has been that bad. That's a that's a bad scenario. That's a bad situation. So that's, you know, I see some people rooting for that. That's not quite what you want either. Right. It's going to be a fascinating situation this week down there. And obviously Alex and I will both be down there. And it's just going to be really interesting to see how it looks with Mac once he starts to stack a couple of these days together with against the starting defense with the starting offense. And the one thing that really stood out there today, and I'm not making excuses for Mac at all, but the one thing that definitely stood out today was how legit this Patriots pass rush is going to be this year. They were all over Mac Jones for this entire practice. And this is not a bad offensive line, right? And I, I remember at one point I – Turned to you, Alex, and I and I said they just throw a ton of pressure looks at this at the rookie quarterback in these practices, blitzing yeah. linebackers, gaming or stunting up front, uh, doing all sorts. It's this is not just 
we're going to put rush four against your five guys. If we get home, great. If not, Matt gets to look good against the defense, right? This is, we're going to get Dante Hightower and Matt Judon and Josh Uche and Chase Winovich and Kyle Van Noy and our interior guys are going to stunt and pick and do different things up front. And we're coming after this quarterback. And I feel like that mentality is going to be the way that they're going to carry this into all year long. Some reporters out there, I think Andrew Callan had them at six sacks today of Mac Jones. I don't know if it was quite that many, but it was there was a lot of pressure in Mac Jones's face out there today. Yeah, I mean we 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 talked about this. This shouldn't be news to anybody regardless of the quarterback situation. This team's going to go as far as the defense carries them. I mean, it's a defensively built football team and there's a lot a lot to be excited about. And I'll, I'll add this just on a bigger picture for the defense. I don't know if you had another point about the defensive front, Evan. No. Go ahead. Um, but just let me let me let me pull up the exact transcript here, but I thought it was very interesting this morning. Bill Belichick was asked about Stephon Gilmore. Um, and generally, the response has been he's rehabbing. Like he's rehabbing. That's it. He's, he's hurt or he's rehabbing or, you know, that's a situation. Um, this is what he, some of what he said this morning. I'll jump around here because it was a long answer. I know that Steph's been working extremely hard. See him in here all the time. He's doing other things while we're practicing. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd, say, I'd, say, I'd say it's day to day. We just keep putting days together and stack them together. When he's ready to be out there, he'll be out there. We'll just take it day to day. That, correct me if I'm wrong. And and by the way, people ask us in the chat every day for Stephon Gilmore updates, and there haven't been any. Yeah. I mean, there's been nothing. This, I feel like, is the most definitive thing we've heard on Gilmore since the spring. And anybody who's worked in sports will tell you day to day doesn't mean anything when you talk about injuries. Oh, he's day to day. That doesn't mean jack. But it's still like day to day. That's as close of a timeline as we've got with Gilmore. And who knows what that ultimately means, right? But it can't be a negative. I don't think it could be a negative, right? That we're suddenly, we, we've gone from, they won't say a word about him. They won't talk about him to all of a sudden, you know, 200 word answer. He's been great. He's doing all this work behind the scenes and he's day to day. I like, I don't know that that means week one. I'd like to think it means week one. I don't know, but I think it's encouraging. I, I think it, you have to see it as a positive in some sense. I don't know how positive. But well, the fact, that he is, positive. the fact that he is contributing in some sense in the best way that he possibly can as an injured player definitely signals that he is all in on this team this year, right? And that he's not doesn't have one foot out the door. He's not trying to force his way out because he's unhappy with his contract. You don't, you don't go in there and become coach Gilmore and do all these things for your teammates and coach your teammates up and stuff like that. If you're, trying to if you've got if you got one foot out the door right and you're looking right. you're looking out to the other way and saying oh I, i'd rather be here or rather be there or something like that so to me that does signal that he is at least invested in this team this year because otherwise if he wasn't then then he wouldn't be doing those things and that's got to be good news for the patriots but the way that i still interpret the stefan gilmore situation goes back to what Josina Anderson tweeted out when she spoke to Gilmore a few months ago. And she said that Stefan Gilmore said that he would be healthy for training camp if he has to be healthy for training camp. And that signaled to everybody at the time that if the Patriots incentivize Stefan Gilmore to be happy and be out there and be healthy, then all of a sudden this rehab from the quad surgery is going to disappear very quickly. And that contract resolution still hasn't happened. Now, is he going to, cause this is a, this is a hold in, 
That's what they're calling it these days because the league has really set it up with fines and, and things like that to make it very difficult for players to truly hold out like we used to see where they would stay away yeah. from the facility altogether. So the Stefan Gilmore is, is doing a hold in where he's around, but he's not participating in practice. And did you just come up with that? Hold in, hold in. Yeah. He's like holding did you in. just come up with that? I don't think so. I think other okay. people have said it. I'm not going to take credit. I haven't heard that. So he's holding in where he's saying, I'm going to show up, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to play and I'm not going to participate. And I still think that there needs to be a shoe to drop with his contract, whether it's a, a, a pay raise this year, an extension, more than likely it's the raise side of things, that path that they probably will end up going down for him to be out there week one and clocks a ticket. Right. We're three weeks away. The final preseason game is on Sunday. So at some point in time, the Patriots and Stefan Gilmore are going to have to sit down and say, how do we get you out on the field? Because I'm not saying he's making up the injury by any means, because he did have offseason surgery from the quad injury. But if they if he was happy about his contract, I think he could practice. I think he would be healthy enough to practice at this point, And he's still not out there. So positive that the Patriots are saying that he's very involved. He's very coach Gilmore. All these things is great, but I still think that there is a divide there just a little bit between team and player in terms of the contract. Well, I, I guess kind of what I'm saying with the day to day is doesn't that, doesn't that almost feel like, yeah, we're, you know, there's things happening behind the scenes, the day-to-day, here we go, right? You know, I, I kind of interpreted that as whatever issues are left, whether they're health issues or their contract issues, you know, we're working on them. The days are the days that those will be issues right. are limited. That's that's how I interpreted it. So I guess that that's what I meant. But you're right. I mean, the contract, I there's gonna be contract news before we see them on the field. I I I think that's the case. Right. I, I agree as well. And the other points I wanted to make here today, we talked a lot about the QBs, the defense again. I, I really was impressed. I've been impressed all summer with that front seven. That, that front seven is going to absolutely eat. And I don't think that we're fully in the Bill Belichick vortex of scheming up and pressure packages. I think that there's another iteration of that that we're going to see turned on in the regular season at the, at some point. Right now, they're running through their basic pressure packages, which are still getting home, just stunting or blitzing a linebacker or whatever the case may be. Just wait until we get into some of the amoeba fronts or zero coverages or whatever else Bill Belichick has up his sleeve with this unit. That front seven is going to be fantastic. The other points I wanted to hit on today, Alex, do you want to go kicker or do you want to do some of the other offense defense? And then we'll talk about the kickers. Uh, we've been doing kicker last. I guess let's do kicker last. We'll do kickers last. How about your boy Gunnar Oshevsky today, Alex, catching a nice slant touchdown yeah. on JT Jackson. He had the game against the Eagles on Thursday night where he was four for 54 to lead the team in receiving yards. One yard ahead of Jacoby Myers, I believe in that game, but he had a couple of good catches from Mac. They were able to have some sort of chemistry and connection there we've talked about how gunner has been a little bit quiet as a wide receiver the last couple of days uh, thursday being the big one but also today during practice a little bit of showing from gunner oshevsky as a pass catcher yeah and, and you know there's kind of a theme here and there's some other plays we'll talk about Jawan williams yadney kajus to you know they kind of waited to the last minute but here we go they're making their push and gunner's right. different than those other two because he was always going to make the team but it was already, right. so just going to be the punt returner. Can he be something more? And now Nikhil, I think the report from, for me and Rappaport was four, he'll be out for four weeks of the season. 
So I think it was right. se seven weeks total, four weeks of, of actual regular season football. So they're going to need a fourth receiver. And I don't know that I, I, I don't know that Christian Wilkerson has done it. I mean, that guy's fallen off. I'm out on the Christian. I am off the Christian Wilkerson bandwagon. I was probably the last one. I it was plenty roomy. Oh, no, roomy. don't jump off now. You got to no, ride so your stick all the way to the end. I will be back on next year. I'll be back on next year in camp. Okay. I think they're going to get him on the practice squad. He's a year away. But all right, you need a fourth receiver. Nikhil's not out. We were kind of hoping that would be Gunner in the first place when we thought Nikhil was going to get traded. Um, so now that he's got a little bump here, I mean, it's exciting. Let's see it. I've talked about this before. If he's on that Edelman path, he still had a year or two before he really needed to ramp up. Edelman was in his fifth year when he started contributing massively as a receiver. Gunner's going into his third. But, yeah, I've always thought he could do it. I, I don't know that he'll ever be Edelman. I don't know that he'll ever be a 100-catch, 1,000-yard right. guy. But he can contribute, what, 30 to 35 catches, something like that. They need a guy for that role. We thought it was going to be Nikhil. At least to start the season now, we know it's not. So, yeah, I mean, he's somebody to watch here because if he can earn meaningful offensive snaps – it maybe saves them a roster spot, you know, having to go elsewhere, I think is what they'd have to do right now externally and bring in a wide receiver. We have talked about how many guys can they carry possibly that are only going to contribute in the kicking game. And one of these guys, we at one point it kind of felt like Justin Bethel was emerging a little bit as potentially a, a defensive back option in the, in the second It did feel like that or it does feel like that? Maybe it still does. I think Jawan yeah, Williams yeah. has sort of taken that that spot a little bit right so I, I don't know if Justin Bethel is going to be over Jawan but potentially that could still exist now we're talking about Gunner potentially contributing a little bit there as well in the in the passing game on offense so at some point in time you can't keep all of these guys you would think especially in a 53-man roster that's this competitive and have four or five six guys that are only going to play in the kicking game and can't give you anything on offense or defense some of these guys have to contribute in other ways and if you're a gunner there's the julian edelman path certainly there's the troy brown path that i, I went back and looked at troy brown's stats from his years he was even further behind julian edelman yeah, you're right even longer it took him almost six or seven seasons before Troy Brown was a legitimate pass catching target for the Patriots. And so, hang on. I'll, I'll give you one more. Uh, obviously he wasn't with the Patriots to start, but Wes Welker broke out in his fourth season. Fourth season. So these things happen now. Those things happened maybe not necessarily for Edelman and I guess Welker was sooner as well, but for Troy Brown, I do think that it's a little bit of a different era and, and a little bit of a different yeah. time in terms of roster I mean, he construction was, and he things like just, that. He wasn't just learning the NFL game. I mean, he was inventing a new position. He had right. even more on his plate. So Right. So it was a totally different situation. But obviously the Welker path, the Edelman path, those are things that still exist for Gunner. And today I was impressed. I was impressed a little bit in that preseason game, but I kept on against the Eagles. But I kept on saying to myself, look, these are guys that probably aren't going to be on NFL rosters in a couple of weeks. Let's slow the roll. Let's see if he can do it. But going out there and catching a legitimate slant where he beats J.C. Jackson to the inside, fights off some contact through the catch point because J.C. tried to get back in there and he was able to box it out and, and make sure that he secured the catch, That that's a good play. That That's a legit yeah. receiver play from Gunnar Oshevsky against a legit corner, not against the sixth or seventh string guy for the Philadelphia Eagles. So maybe the, th the light's coming on a little bit for Gunnar, and we've talked about 
the quiet start, but another guy that's having sort of a charge here at the end of camp is Yadni Kajust. He looks, as you would expect, much, much better now than he did a couple of weeks ago. For a player that didn't play football for two years, he did mention to me today that he's been in the room for two years, right? He's been learning the system, right. he's been taking mental reps, but he physically has not been out there for two years. So now we're starting to see a couple weeks into training camp, a couple preseason games under the belt, and Jodney Kajust is coming along. Now, obviously, this could all, the, the rug could be pulled out from underneath him at any time and he could get hurt again, which is the concern. But for now, I think Jodney Kajust is worth keeping around and, and worth working with in terms of a developmental prospect, especially with what we have seen with his ability to work in space, get up to the second level, a very athletic guy at 6'5", 320 pounds, an impressive mover for his size. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, I was talking to like, Karen Garigian from the Herald on my podcast earlier, and you can check that out on 985sportsup.com. And Protein. I kind of, you know, thank you. I, I was talking about kind of, you know, the, the talk that we've had is, you know, seven feels thin. Will they keep seven offensive linemen? And Karen was like disgusted. I, I said they keep seven. She was eight thin. It's going to be nine or 10. So, right. you know, but. You know, she agreed, and I think it's true that there's really only seven clear guys right now, the starting five, Heron and uh, Karras. Karras, right? Yeah, Karras. So he's, again, he's surging at the right time. You know, there's other guys that have had their their little blips. Marcus Martin had his blip. He had like two or three days there where he was notable. James Ferrens had like a day or two, right? Uh, William Sherman just being a draft pick. There was natural intrigue, but nobody's really grabbed those, those true depth spots, and the other thing she mentioned that was interesting is, okay, well, Sherman's a guard. Ferentz and Martin, those are interior players. Where do the Patriots really need depth, guard or tackle? And it feels like if you have to pick one of those two, Isaiah Wynn and Trent Brown have both struggled with injuries. Definitely tackle. Historically. So, right. yeah, it you know, it was kind, kind of like which tackle is going to step up at the right time. And we'll see. I think those joint practices are going to be huge. You know, Yadi could just, like you said, any moment, come back down like Marcus Martin did, like, like James Ferentz did, but he, you want, you know, you want to get hot later rather than earlier and he's getting hot at the right time. So we'll see. Carmen Brissell, the Patriots offensive line coach on Sunday also had some good things to say about Yadni Kajust. He didn't mention that there were a ton of mistakes still on tape that they're ironing out with Kajust, but you see the improvements. You see that he's trending in the right direction. And after sitting out for so long, you had to have expected that there was going to be a slow buildup for a guy like Kajust to get ramped back up, not only to football shape and the speed of the game, but the physicality of the game as well and the mental side of it and just sort of putting it all together was going to take time. So we are seeing that flash more and more. And as you said, you got Brown, you got Win, two guys that are injury prone and also two guys that are nearing the end of their contracts, right? Win's yeah, got yeah, one more year right. after this year because of the fifth year option. Trent Brown is a free agent at the end of the season. Although it does sound like Brown loves to be here and the Patriots love to have him, maybe they can work out some sort of an extension at some point to keep him here. The tackle depth beyond this year is also something that they have to think about. And maybe Yadni Kajust is not going to play this year for the Patriots because they probably go kicking on Michael Onwenu back outside or bringing Justin Heron in over Kajust. But 2022 and beyond, when you look at the projection there, that could be where Yadni Kajus could earn a role for himself and, and, fit, and maybe fit, factor into things a little bit more. So 
it's a developmental play for through and through to keep Yanni Kajust on the roster, but his upside is immense. You know, I love, I love me some Kajust. Yeah. I, I, I've loved him since West Virginia. I think he's a guy that moves really well for his size, got great hands, great upper body strength, all the tools in the tool belt that you need to play tackle in the NFL. He's just got to stay healthy. And that, that's really right. a big caveat, but he's at least trending in the right direction in that department where 16 practices in knock on wood, don't want to jinx him, and he's still out there. So, I think that they have something in Kajusa that they can keep him out on the field. Let, let's let's do kickers and wrap it up on the kickers. Nick Folk returns to practice on Monday. He goes three for five from 40 to 45-ish range, I would say. Right. The leg didn't look great, Alex. It, it, he wasn't exactly booming the well, kick. Like, maybe it's in comparison, I guess, right? Yeah, it, it, you know, when Quinn Nordine's going over the goalpost from 50, it's it, it's tough, but... Well, I look, he was three for five. He hadn't kicked in a couple weeks. Right. Well, I, I'm not going to write him off on one practice, but, you know, they got to have a kicker. They got to have a reliable kicker. I don't think it's going to be Nordeen. I'd love to see him get Nordeen in the practice squad. I think maybe down the road, but not this year. Um, if it's not Folk, though, that's going to be a problem. And they've got to get that figured out. So, you know, I, I really like Nick Folk. I do. I'm just going to pull up some numbers here in the background while I'm talking. Um, I, I thought he was one of the best kickers in football last year. I, I think that, you know, when you move on from a guy like Steven Gostowski, you wish you could do as well as Folk. But 93% last year, I'm going to go back before that, uh, 82%. And that was a partial season. I won't count that. But, okay, 82, 87, 81, 82. Last time he was above 90% was 2013. The only other time he's done in his career is 2008, his second year right. in the league. So he, he had a career year last year. And most – you know, kicker's not every position, but most players don't have career years at 36 years old. You have to wonder what he's going to be like coming back. Um, but they, you know, they don't really have the time to figure that out right now. If, if they'd figured this out earlier in camp, they could have gone and gotten somebody else. They didn't. So there's a lot riding on Nick Folk right now, and we'll see ultimately what they end up doing. I'll add this too. Joe Cardona came back, and I think that was big. That helped. Um, I don't know if you you saw my numbers today on Jake Bailey. He had two two the two biggest hang times I've clocked him at this summer. So ultimately getting that whole operation back together is going to help nothing against Brian Corey, um, who's probably going to get released tomorrow. Well, it's, the roster it's, just the reps. But, it's just the right. reps with that group together. Right. Exactly. They've been working together, but yeah, I, I think there's some questions to answer in regard to Nick Folk. I don't think that Quinn Nordine's necessarily going to overtake him at this point, but I don't know that they, you know, if he has a couple more days like today, again, three for five, you know, he misses a couple kicks in that preseason game. I don't know that they start looking at external options. It, it does feel like the kicker situation is certainly more up in the air than maybe we thought, right? Because if, or maybe it was initially, because if, first of all, you come into training camp and you have Nick Folk who was nails for you last year. He mentioned 93% on field goals, the two 50 plus game winners, the only kicker in the league to have two of those last year, 30 for 33, I believe it was on extra points. That's a solid year for an NFL kicker, you bring him back. You think that that spot's going to be pretty solidified with Nick Folk. And then you go and you get Quinn Nordine in here. And it looks like this guy's a player. And now all of a sudden Folk is hurt. I believe it's still that back injury that's plaguing Folk at this point. Is it? I I don't, I didn't think there'd been anything. Yeah. I believe it's what I've been told. It's a, it's a back issue. And so you have the back as a problem that, Backs are fickle, right? Back- yeah, it's not going away. 
backs are not going away. This is exactly, this is a management issue here for Nick Volk. So yeah, that is a problem. I Maybe Quinn Nordine does sneak onto the practice squad now because he did have those three missed kicks against Philly. He'd also missed an extra point against Washington. So he's now missed three extra points in preseason action and one field goal from 36 yards. So that seven, extra, seven points on the board in two games. That extra that point seems to be a little bit difficult for Quinn Nordine. So that 36, 39, it's, it's about the same, right? So more or less. So it feels like it feels like this kicker situation is still pretty uncertain. A couple of weeks ago, we thought they were in a great spot. This is sometimes what happens in training camp as weeks progress, as practices progress, as games get underway. You learn about the flaws. You, you learn about the yeah. warts in some of these players, and it does feel like maybe the kicker situation is a little bit more bleak. And they're still they're still sort searching. Excuse me for the long-term replacement for Guskowski, right? The folk right. was sort of supposed to be the bridge. Nordine looked at a chance to be that long-term guy. Maybe he still is if he's got a chance to develop and become more consistent. But we're still in a search mode right now for the the kicker that is going to be the kicker for a while here. Yeah, I was a little surprised they didn't take Evan McPherson. He went in the fifth round. They kind of had a gap there. But, yeah, I, you know, I, I, Folk should be fine this year. I don't know that he's going to be 93% again, but if he can get you right. high 80s, I think you're in good shape. I think Folk is going to be like Larry Bird in his final year with the Celtics laid out on the sideline to make sure he doesn't throw his <laughs> yeah, back exactly. out when he's not in the uh, game. So, I, I mean, we'll see what he turns into, but yeah, I think that there's a chance that, you know, this, and it, somebody said in the chat, this, this team goes nowhere without a kicker. I don't think that that's necessarily an incorrect take because, if you're a team that's going to win on defense, I think that that's totally sustainable, but points are going to be precious. You know, right. games are going to come down an extra point here, or a chip shot field goal there. So this team can't really afford to leave points on the table the way they want to win games. So that, there, that kicker right. is going to matter. Yeah, there was a report. It's a good point by William here in the chat. There was a report the other day. The Giants, I believe, have two kickers that they really like, and Looking one of them nice. were- Ryan Santoso, or Santoso, however you pronounce his last name. Sorry if I butchered that. He is available on the trade block and has put together a strong training camp, strong preseason tape, and looks like an NFL starting kicker. So the Patriots might have a firsthand look at him over the next couple of days on Wednesday and Thursday in the game on Sunday. So if he kicks well in front of Bill Belichick, maybe that's an option as a guy that they could look for externally if they have to go that direction. I agree that I think Nick Folk would be solid for them, but I do I am concerned that that back is going to come and go all year long. And you do worry that with a kicker, you're probably only going to carry one guy on the active roster. Obviously, maybe they keep Quinn Nordine in on the practice squad, but if you're not prepared to keep Nordine over Folk, are you really prepared to put Nordine in the game if Folk is not healthy enough to kick? Right, so. Right. Interesting situation, not not quite the quarterback drama, but it definitely is a situation worth monitoring. And, uh, yeah, I like the guy from the Giants. I, I saw him kick a little bit in, in their last preseason game. Maybe he's somebody that they can watch and, and scout while he's here and, and maybe pick him up. And, obviously, I think that Joe Judge and Bill Belichick would easily do a trade together. I don't think that would be a problem. So you never know. So the name I'll give you is Nick Rose. Uh, he didn't kick anywhere last year. He was in the AAF in 2019. He went 15 for 15. Hey, they, and they brought Nick Folk back from the World League, so might as well. Oh, this was the – oh, no, he was AAF too, yeah. Um, yeah. Went 15 for 15, hit three 50-yard field goals. Um, you know, he's 
I don't think he's ever officially kicked in an NFL game. I know he's bounced around. Um, he was Texas kicker for a little bit. Let's see here. He has kicked. He's 11 for 14 in the NFL with along okay. with 55. I think he's a slightly more accurate, slightly less powerful Quinn Nordine. Um, but, you know, he's somebody I've always liked. And that's whenever anybody says who's the kicker, my go-to has been Nick Rose. I just I, I liked what I saw from him in the AAF. So I'm surprised that we're having this conversation, to be honest. I thought that they had kicker figured out between Folk and Nordine. No. I heard. You didn't think once, so? Once, once Folk started missing time, I all, and we didn't talk about it a ton because, again, Nordine, it was all encouraging. But like I said, I never thought Nordine was the starter. Once Folk started missing time, I kind of wondered what they were going to do because I never believed Quinn Nordine was going to be the starter this year. And, you know, when Folk missed a couple days in Nordine surging, it's like, all right, the kid's having some fun. Folk will be back soon. But, you know, now he's missed two games. He comes out today. He goes three for five. So I wouldn't be surprised if we're having this conversation again in October. I, you know, I I am fine starting the season with Nick Folk, but I'm not betting any money that he's going to be the guy he was last year either. It's a fair point. A lot of Trevor Lawrence talk in the chat. I know it's the Jaguars, and, and maybe that's holding him back a little bit, but Trevor Lawrence has arguably been the worst first-round quarterback. It's, the, that, it's that coach. It's that coach. He's a bad coach. You he think Urban's a bad coach? coach? Uh, he knows how to recruit. He's a good college football coach. Right. Here's Urban Meyer in a nutshell. Urban Meyer's too smart for his own good. Here's Urban Meyer in a nutshell, because he did this crap all the time at Ohio State, but his teams were so talented, nobody ever paid attention to it. So they draft Travis Etienne. Very good running back. Good all-around running back. Bad Excellent pick. back, right? What? Bad pick. So, oh, you just think he's a bad pick because he's bad a running pick. back in the first round. Well, so here's why he's a bad pick. So Travis Etienne goes in the spring, and they say, we're going to give him reps at wide receiver because we need a slot receiver and he could maybe play there and we have some good running backs. There were so many good slot receivers on the board when they took Travis Etienne. It's it's yeah. the Simpsons thing. It, or not Simpsons, it's the family guy thing. Right. It's, it's the mystery box. You know, you go. they go in, they want a boat. And the salesman says, well, you can have the boat or you can have the mystery box. And Peter goes, well, the mystery box could be anything. It could even be a boat. <laughs> you know, you're going to try Travis Etienne at slot receiver because you need a slot receiver. Oh my God, if only you could have drafted a slot receiver in one of the deepest slot receiver class in recent memory. And Elijah Moore is apparently tearing up Jets camp. I think, was, right he, now. was he still on the board at that point? Yeah, yeah he's a guy from Ole Miss. So you had Elijah Moore. I, I think Kadarius yeah. Tony was still on the board at that point. You had a Moan Ross St. Brown who's been excellent for Detroit. No, we're right. going to draft a running back and play him out of position. Get the hell out of here with that. You can do that in college because your teams are so wildly more talented in the Big Ten. Right. It doesn't matter. You can't do that in the NFL. You can't play Tim Tebow a tight end. Dipsy do. Yeah, that'll work. No, this is the NFL. Everybody's good now. I'm sorry. You don't get to play Central Michigan to open the season anymore. Urban Meyer, you have to play real football. It's going to be, and it sucks because I think Trevor Lawrence is tremendously talented. I do. And I was looking forward to watching him. That organization is going to flush him down the drain worse than the Colts flushed Andrew Luck. Rookie quarterbacks have looked pretty good. I think Trevor Lawrence plays tonight with the Jaguars in his second game, so maybe he can turn it around And he tonight. plays against the Jets, so he should look good. Zach Wilson's looked good. Trey Lance started a little bit rough yesterday, but then came and turned it around and, and came on strong at the end of that game. Mack has obviously looked pretty good for the Patriots. Justin Fields has had some great moments for the Chicago Bears. So a really fun and intriguing quarterback class. I, I, don't, I don't really get too caught up in – comparing how does Mac look against the other four QBs drafted in the first round this year. I don't really think it, it ultimately right. matters, but 
it's just a fun storyline to see all these good young quarterbacks come into the league and, and show up and be impressive. I also did see a PFF article, I think it was yesterday or the day before, talking about how preseason performance by rookie quarterbacks hardly ever projects forward, right? Like most of this means absolutely nothing. You saw all the, I mean, the day after Mac Jones had his game, people were, were sharing the headlines of like Sam Darnold looking great in his first preseason game. Right. Or Sanchez, basically everybody, the Jets. Ryan Mallett. That's Ryan so Mallett. Remember, right. let's never forget Ryan Mallett. First round arm yeah. down. Who said yeah. that? Was that Breer? No, that was uh, Charlie Casserly. Charlie Casserly. Yes. He had first round. So look, right. it does, I, people like to make those jokes. It doesn't mean nothing. Obviously, there's a lot to be encouraged about, but what Mac Jones has done, it's exciting. But yeah, at the same time, you know, I if if, if Trevor Lawrence is failing, I think it's more because of that. I mean, that organization's just set it's up a, to It's suck. a dumpster fire. Think about right. it this way. They were four, just four years ago, and I know four years is a long time in the NFL, but just four years ago, that team had a fourth quarter lead in the AFC championship game against the New England Patriots in Gillette Stadium. Choked they it. have since blown that entire thing up and gotten the first round pick. That's yeah. that's an that is not oh, we got, you know, there's playing above where you are, and that Jaguars team probably did exceed expectations a little bit and play a bit above its ceiling, but no. To have to go from that high to that epic of a collapse in that short span of time, that is nothing short of pure organizational failure to the core. I don't know who's going to be quarterback in the Patriots in week two against the Jets, but just really quickly, I, I Zach Wilson's gotten a lot of buzz. He's gotten a lot Man, of buzz. For, Bill Belichick is going to spit Zach Wilson out oh, and yeah. chew him up and spit him out again. Bill, Bill Belichick's going to put him in the Hall of Fame. You know, <laughs> I don't know that we saw a better quarterback. Oh, oh, absolutely. But watching this front get after because the, the biggest concern I had was Zach Wilson was pressure, right? Was poise yeah. under pressure. He showed a pretty good poise in the Jets' first preseason game the other day that I was watching. But in terms of overall, at BYU, everybody talks about how Mac was surrounded by all this talent and didn't, you know, it was it was NFL versus college and in their offense. And BYU played a cupcake and a half. Hey, hey. they played nobody. They played, don't justify hey, it. Be nice. Don't be mean to Coastal. They Which, played nobody. They, who, who, they lost to Coastal. Great game. I don't think you watched it, and I was mad at you for it. They lost to I didn't watch it live. I'm I'm <laughs> certain I watched that Zach Wilson's side of things after the fact. But w- my point that so, I'm making is – No, no, let me, let me real quick. Okay. They lost to Coastal. It was Zach Wilson's fault. He missed a read on the final play. It was one of the best games of the year. Coastal, legit good team. Grayson McCall is going to be my sleeper quarterback in this year's draft. Anyway. Okay, fair enough. But with Zach Wilson, pressure was a big concern that I had was under pressure. Every single time he got under pressure at BYU, which wasn't often because that offensive line dominated the competition. It went up what went up against they also it's ran they also ran a very similar scheme to what Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay and everybody runs up here in the NFL nowadays, which is why the Jets were interested in him to fit that scheme in New York. But he ran a very similar scheme where they set it up very, very well for the quarterback to be protected at a high level. Just the way that they bootlegged, the way that they rolled the quarterback out, the different things that they do with the QB in that system make it very easy to block him, block it up and protect him. And he was never under real pressure at BYU consistently. And when he was, his feet really got away from him. So I'm interested to see what happens when Bill Belichick 
and Matt Judon and Dante Hightower and Uche and Van Noy and Winovich and all these guys come after Zach Wilson in that game in week two, how he handles it, because that'll be a nice litmus test of the the scouting pro profile on Zach Wilson, right? And and if the projection was correct, he also just reminds me so much of Sam Darnold, and I just don't necessarily see a different quarterback there. So I, that, that's another part of it. But I was going to say, they're going to make him see Ghost Week too. No, you know who he reminds me of? Who? Tell me if I'm wrong. Johnny Football. He's better than Johnny, though. In the, for the NFL. For the NFL. He's better. He's, oh, I don't know. He's hey, mentally, he probably has more to get. He's not that much bigger. He's he's a, he's a little bit bigger. I don't think so. Johnny had really small hands. That was the problem for Johnny. Oh, the hands. Really small hands. If you Google Zach Wilson, it says, did you mean Zach Wilson mom? Zach Wilson's not 6'3". Get out of here with that. Zach no, I think he's like 6'1 and a half. Yeah, no, he reminds me of Johnny. The way he, he runs around and all that, he reminds me of Johnny football. But anyway. All right, all right, fair enough. Well, we'll see all these rookie quarterbacks keep playing in the preseason, obviously. Uh, we got the Jones battle coming in here in New England in a couple of days. Uh, Mac Jones versus Daniel Jones. Hopefully Mac Jones looks better than Daniel Jones. I, that, I think that's a low uh, bar. He, 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 should. He, he should, he will. He should, hopefully. And Alex and I will be back on the podcast tomorrow to break down Tuesday's practice, anticipating a pretty light practice out of the Patriots on Tuesday with the joints coming up on Wednesday and Thursday. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect the Patriots to be in pads. I don't even know if they'll be in shells. That might be full on walk. Yeah, it could be a walk through. Yeah. Right. So we'll see what happens and see if there's enough to do a pod, but we'll try to come back on tomorrow night and chop it up a little bit. We'll definitely be on the podcast on Wednesday and Thursday following a Patriots training camp of joint practices against the Giants. Again, I want to put this out there. Your last chance to see the Patriots practice is Wednesday and Thursday. The rest of the way is going to be closed to the public today and tomorrow are closed to the public. It just allowed for the media. So Wednesday and Thursday are open to the public practice. That's it for training camp 2021 on Thursdays, the last official day of training camp. So the media is also getting kicked out after Thursday as well. Yeah. We'll be able to get in there for five or 10 minutes at the beginning to take attendance, but regular season rules start after Thursday. So make sure you get out there if you can and come watch the Patriots practice. Like I said, Alex and I will keep you updated on the podcast all week long. And uh, I'll be in New York on Sunday. Alex, I think you're, you're staying put. I will be covering it from, uh, from Boston. From the 98.5, the sports hub headquarters is what I like to call actually, it. Actually, I will be in the studio because I will be uh, on with Matt Dolph one to three on Sunday before the game on 98.5. So there you go. Pre-game. I yeah. like that. All right. So we'll Pre-pre-game. be back on the, the pre-game show. The pre-pre-game show. Because, yeah, Be- Beetle and uh, Gasper, they Gasper, have yeah. 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 We'll be on from – we're one to three, so it'll be three to six. Yeah. Yeah, I, I listen to them on my drive-in sometimes when I when I have a chance. So we'll be back on the podcast, like I said, maybe tomorrow night, potentially tomorrow night, definitely Wednesday and Thursday. But until then, signing off for Alex Farth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for watching our content of the six-time Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots. Please subscribe to my podcast, Patriots Beat, on our YouTube channel, Patriots Press Pass, or wherever you get your podcasts for a lot more exclusive content right here on the CLS Media Network.